So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night The podcast where we put 20 movies on a board Throw a dart at it and let the fates decide This week, we continue our deep dive into Werner Herzog with one of the best making of documentaries ever. It's Burden of Dreams by documentarian Les Blank, covering the filming of last week's film, Fitzcarraldo. Shaking it up this week on Dartboard Movie Night, Jared. (laughs) Dude, I love that we're doing this. I love this sort of companion piece idea. It's something I hope we get a chance to maybe revisit in the future. Not too quickly, but like, I like this idea of, of two things that go together and maybe we'll do this again sometime hmm. of like bundling together two movies and splitting them up over two episodes. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, it's given me a chance to really dig into Werner Herzog in a way that I feel like I've neglected uh, to do mm-hmm. up until this point. So it's been fun. Yeah. I don't know if, if we maybe talked about this last week and if we did, we could cut this. But do you find his filmography intimidating from afar? Like when you approached it, because I think Aguirre was the first thing you saw, right? Yeah. And because I find him intimidating. I don't really know well, why. I find him intimidating as a human being. So, yeah, <laughs> it makes sense that uh, his films would would scare the shit out of me uh, from afar. But uh, he's more approachable than than I think he he gets credit for now mm-hmm. having seen a few of his films. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're listen, they're not going to be for everyone, but I, I do find him to be fascinating and I'm a lot less avoidant of of his stuff now um Mm -hmm. having seen the warm side of Werner I feel like there there is a there's a warm cuddly cuddly teddy bear in there somewhere absolutely absolutely and I I agree I don't if I don't know where I got this idea about his movies being kind of difficult to get into they're not I think they're really they're great they're fun they're interesting you know I think like and we'll get into this as we dig into burden of dreams but just you know from the outset kind of talking about Werner like He's a guy that I feel like I the impression I got from how people talk about him and his general demeanor before I, I dug in like I have now was that he was this dictatorial, you know, like like how uh, how John Milius describes Francis Ford Coppola. The, <laughs> that uh, one time. Yeah, yeah. The, what does he call him? You, you know the this base, better than me. The Bayside Mussolini. Yeah. He called Francis Ford Coppola that once. And we don't even know where that quote was from. And they seem very friendly nowadays or in recent years. Oh, sure. So I think no, if they, they, were, ever and, was... and they were friends then, too, I think, yeah, in a way. Yeah, but yeah. it was like an adversarial friendship, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, whereas Coppola is the Bayside Mussolini, I kind of, <laughs> I thought maybe that's what Werner would be. But he's really not. Like, yeah. you know, you watch him in this movie. And again, not to get too deep into the movie yet, but like you watch him in this and, and you're just like, this is a guy who really cares. He he mm-hmm. like it is coming from a place of love, like his his desire to get this stuff on film. And maybe that, you know, creates these chaotic situations that we'll get into, but at the same time like there there's something very lovable and warm about that to me. Yes, and he did not at all strike me as reckless in this movie. Well. So Oh, well, 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 we'll save that one for when well. we get into it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's let's review the board before we jump into everything here. Love it. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, today's episode, Fitzcarraldo slash Burden of Dreams, part two. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Night Moves. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, The Terminator. Nice, nice. Fairly clean. I, I was pretty proud of that one. That was a great reading. <laughs> Fantastic job. No, that was, I think, the you cleanest know, I, one I, yet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start getting you to just have like, uh, you know, your like a rating through st- ten signs <laughs> and just hold up a sign like it's the, yeah. the dunk competition at the All Star <laughs> yeah. Game. That was a seven point eight. That was nice. Yeah, might solid. even be better than that. That might have been like eight five. I was thinking nine, but hey, okay, yeah. sure. And if I remember right, Drew, Russian judge you, over here, <laughs> you will be uh, nominating the replacement for number three later on tonight, right? After I we're will. done, it'll be, it'll uh, be your or, week. Or will I? 
Yes, I, I will because Fitzcarraldo was your addition. Yeah, yeah, we had the we had the rare back to back where we immediately hit what was just put on the board, right. which honestly I really prefer when it sits for a little while, because I like for potential audience members be able to like think about a film for a little while before we end up diving into it, you know, but this is immediate hit. I like that you was, called it a potential kind of, audience member. As yeah, a, I'm we not just going <laughs> to be, <laughs> I'm not going to be so presumptuous. I tend to agree, but I also will say it's kind of fun to hit it right when you uh, put it up because, you know, Herzog was just like fresh in your mind. Like it was yeah. something that you had just started to get interested in and it kind of, it made for for a really interesting, I think, deep dive because you were already like in motion thinking about this. That's stuff. true. That's a great point. It was the timing was good for that reason of like I've I, kind of got Herzog fever, right? And it's kind of better to get it now as opposed to eight months down the line we hit it and I'm like, oh, so I was into Herzog big time, like like way back, and and you then know, you're trying to like nice get yourself back into that headspace. Um, yeah, exactly. I think this is a, exactly. a specific instance because you put it up specifically because you wanted to to know Herzog better. Um, whereas like some of these are just like random flyers, which if we hit that the same day, that would be a little frustrating. But mm-hmm. I think for this, it it worked out nicely. Yeah, we got to trust the dart man. That's the whole vibe of the show. It's got a freaking mind of its own, man. <laughs> it really does. All right. Well, as we just mentioned, this is our second number three in a row. Um, so weird. <laughs> it is. It is weird. But we've hit number three quite a few times. Um, so, you know, it, it's well, I'm we didn't throw the it. dart last week, so we don't have any new yeah. new statistics <laughs> to add. But there you go. Yeah. A lot of threes going on, though, in the overall scheme of things. Absolutely. Do we want to do a quick streaming check on Burden of Dreams? Oh, yes. 1982's Burden of Dreams. If you have the Criterion channel, it's available there for free. Everywhere else is pay to rent. And if you're into docs or into behind the scenes stuff, I would definitely say it's worth your while. And I would say definitely check this out. But should be able to track it down. I would also add that for anyone who, you know, has been excited by watching these more off the beaten path films that aren't, you know, big American blockbusters, um, highly recommend getting a Criterion channel subscription. It's a wonderful platform. The interface is great. And it gives you an opportunity to check out a ton of stuff that you probably have never even heard of, um, but is phenomenal. Uh, they, they curate the shit out of it. They're a wonderful company that everyone should support. And I mean, they are the biggest endorsers in modern times of special features. Mm. And there are a lot of people like you and I drew out there who love special features and love to hear commentary tracks and deleted scenes and discussions about a film. And Criterion understands that and understands us because they're like that, too. They are movie buffs and they just do such a good job. One of us. One of us. <laughs> they do such a great job just supporting that side of things. So yeah. I'm, I'm, th- I'm thankful for them as a company. Me too, Jared. But why don't we do a little refresher on Fitzcarraldo? It's been mm. a couple of weeks since our, our record on that. Um, we, mm-hmm. we packed a couple in so that we could get ahead of my trip to Telluride Bluegrass, which is heaven on earth. We didn't talk about that, but I'm just going to plug that here. Anyone who has any interest in music festivals, that should be number one on your bucket list. But that being said, uh, we got ahead of it a little bit. So it's been a little while since we covered Fitzcarraldo. How has it aged in your mind? And is there anything that you feel like you wanted to revisit or didn't cover on the episode? I would say it's aged really, really well, Mm. like better than I predicted. Um, As I recall, when we were kind of chatting about it last week, I was like, oh, it's a little stodgy at times, but it is really cool movie. And it's amazing that they did this thing. And maybe it's partly because of this documentary going deeper into the details about how this was accomplished and all of the problems along the way. The monumental nature of the task at hand that this movie is attempting, meaning this movie Fitzcarraldo is attempting to capture, has just really kind of become more extreme in my mind. And I've become to I've I've come to appreciate it more where I'm like, this is amazing that they actually did this. And they took all this financial and personal risk and time away from home and, and all these things to do something crazy, mm-hmm. drag a boat over a mountain and I would say the the imagery of the boat going up the slope has aged incredibly well, just replaying in my head. And Klaus Kinski's performance has aged fantastically well hmm. in my mind. Nice. And we'll probably get into it in a little bit, but they do have a couple of clips 
in Burden of Dreams that show us what they were going for with Jason Robards. And Drew knows, and audience members probably know, I am like one of the biggest Jason Robards fans on the planet. But it, it seemed clear to me just in those little takes somewhat out of context that he wasn't really right for this. And I think that Klaus Kinski was kind of by far the better choice as the way things shook out. Like, I, I think... You know his his performance has aged incredibly well just in the week or to, uh, the week or so since our conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of just kind of other thoughts, I guess they'll all kind of come up throughout the conversation because there's more things I do want to say about Fitzcarraldo, and I think it'll be better to just kind of weave it in because these movies sure. are so are so tethered to each other. I think um, that well, they're, just they're like running up. in parallel. It's mm-hmm. like it's like you know. Burden of Dreams is essentially Werner Herzog going through the same experience as his main character in the film, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Fitzcarraldo. So it's like yeah. like he is he is kind of a, a mirror image of Fitzcarraldo himself, uh, which yeah. I found really really interesting. So dope. Um, so I would say for me, it's it's I liked it last week, and I'm as I've sat with it, I'm liking it even more. How how do you feel about? Has it changed in your mind or stayed the same? It's it's stayed about the same. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it when I watched it. It's it's a phenomenal film. And um yeah, it's it's not one that I've sat here kind of like mulling over in my head. I feel like I really got a lot out of that first viewing experience. And, you know, Burden of Dreams definitely has layered onto that and has uh enriched that experience in some ways. But I wouldn't say my perception has changed over time necessarily. It's just kind of been reinforced, if that makes sense. Right, right. Um, so you 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 liked it and you continue to like it. And it's kind of to the same degree somewhat. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I got you. Going back to what you said, though, about Klaus Kinski versus uh, Jason Robards. I, I mean, you brought it up. Like, let's let's just get this let's part out of the now. way just yeah. because, I mean, it's the big dog. It should be the first topic of conversation. <laughs> of course. Big dog Jason Robards. Yeah. But he... You're absolutely right. It's so weird when you see him in that clip in the bell tower. Mm-hmm. The the uh, I don't know the the manic energy that Klaus Kinski brings to that character of like this wild eyed dreamer mm-hmm. does not come through at all in in the performance no. we see from from Robards. And look, I want to add a caveat like. It, it could just be like that was not necessarily his best take. He could have other mm-hmm. stuff in there. I, I don't really know. And I would love to see more clips of it just to see like, because I mean, they filmed like 40% of the movie with him before they mm. had to reset. So like there's a lot more footage out there. Um, I would love to see more of it. But based on what we see there, I'm like, oh, this kind of actually worked out great for the film. Yeah, I think and, so And too. I hate saying that because the big dog is is the fucking the, man. Dude. He is one of the coolest people to ever but walk he just, to earth. His, his his vibe just is not quite the same, you know? Yeah. Like, and it's interesting. Like, I, I'm going back to, like, you know, another Robards movie we covered on the show, Ballad of Cable Hogue. And I think he's got a little bit of that wild-eyed dreamer thing going on in that movie, too. But it's much more of, like, a... It's much more of, like, a... I don't know. How would you describe it? Like it's it's like a, a warm presence that's more just like a guy who's down on his luck, but you're still rooting for kind of thing. Um, and I th- and I understand like logically where Herzog his mind might have been going with putting him in this role. Um, it might have been because Cable Hogue came out before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it came out so like maybe two or three he years. Was... But that being said, I I don't know the chronology because it, like the right. filming of Fitzcarraldo was like four years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But I, and I think you, I think you raised a great point about we don't know if this was a great take or not. That we, the one time we see Jason Robards and Mick Jagger, we'll also mention him in this. Oh, yeah, I kept that a secret in the Fitzcarraldo episode, but (laughs) we get, we found out that Mick Jagger played a character that Werner Herzog (laughs) literally excised from the film because he felt that the Mick Jagger performance was so good that he was like, I can't, no one, no one could ever top this. Nobody could touch this. (laughs) Nobody could touch Mick. Which I think is hilarious because Mick Jagger is not an actor. It's so funny to think. And but, like Herzog is so like attached to that performance. I think it's yeah. it's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and and again, it should be said that maybe that was not a great take of them in the bell tower. Yeah. But like Robards has this sort of um 
mocking energy that he's toying with in that bell tower where he's like, we want the opera house. Ha ha ha. He's kind of like, you know, he's kind of needling a little bit that the, the town and the community mm-hmm. below. What I like I so much about I read it that way, but yeah, go ahead. He, but what I like so much about Kinsky's thing is it's so much more desperate. Yeah. Like this man, like needs this opera house. It, and it's like, like, a, it's, uh, like he can't live unless this yes. happens. And like, he's like him in the bell tower is like, he's snapping yeah. about like, I need, we need this, this community needs it. And it seems that desperation that Kinski portrays in that scene is so important for the character because of they'll go to the ends of the earth to get this objective yeah. and they'll do anything. And so it's so much more important and Robards just seem to be playing it a little bit softer mm-hmm. and just less sort of desperate and a little more leaning a little too much comedian. into his likability. Yeah. And his coolness. I mean, I think that's the thing. Jason Robards is just so cool that it was, it's was almost working against him seemingly from just this, again, one take in isolation mm. that is probably not fair of us to judge what he was doing or going for, for completely, sure. but it is the evidence we have to work with. And again, he's like, it's almost just, he's just too cool for it. And Klaus is just so much more like this guy's at, you know, he needs this. And it seems so much more real in a way, even though he's going a lot bigger. And that's a lot of Klaus's magic. I think I touched on last week is he can go huge. And I still read it as believable, which normally I'm the first person in the room to say that's too big. I said that about Liam Neeson at the end of, Schindler's List when he's like breaking down and having that thing. One of your hotter about, takes, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I talked about it last night with Graham, and he thought I was batshit crazy. He was like, "That scene is amazing," and I was I'm like, "It Graham. seems like too much." And most people are, and that's that's great. So, but all that is to say, I'm generally the guy who doesn't like when people go super big, and I I I'm kind of the first person to roll my eyes at that. But somehow Klaus is like immune to it, and mm-hmm. I just still buy him every swing he takes and every time he goes huge. I'm along for the ride and I'm like not judging it. It's really cool. No, it it definitely is. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we got that glimpse because it's, it's a perfect little instance where you can see not all actors, even the, you know, the greatest actor might not be right for a role. And, and it's, it's interesting to see that alternate universe kind of look like that. Mm hmm. And I will say while we're in this sort of sector of like what could have been, there's that one other scene they show with Mick Jagger's kind of delivering a mini monologue from a play to Jason Robards. And we it's just this angle is just shot from behind Robards head. And Mick does seem pretty good. Yeah. As he's like delivering these lines, I was like, I could kind of see what he's doing here a little. And I could see why Herzog would develop this sort of crush on the performance because it was strong based on what I saw. He Mm -hmm. looked like he was doing good stuff. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, would like to see that alternate movie in t- in in its totality. That would be great. Me too. But and I remember hearing in the commentary, universe. another universe. What an f- interesting universe that other place is. Uh, not to say that ours is bad, but also in the commentary for Fitzcarraldo, I had heard that Werner Herzog was really considering Jack Nicholson once Jason Robards kicked out and they were kind of going on this search, but he did not think he could get Nicholson to commit to the three the all the shooting time in the Amazon. Oh, there's just, no way Nicholson would have gone no. into the jungle. But that being said, from a character standpoint, that that's interesting. Yeah, I'd that's another like ooh that'd be cool to see and he's like, got so that more Nick, wild energy. Yeah, and Nicholson was was wanting to work with Herzog, so he was interested, but then the studio was like, okay, well, now you have to film it in Santa Monica or some such place on this lot, and that's when Herzog was like, no, goodbye. No we're not We're not doing that. That defeats the whole purpose of what I'm trying to do. So You are cowards. Uh, good on Herzog for his kind of uh, implacability, for lack of a better term, in terms of like when he has an idea and a vision and a way he wants to go to to go about it. He will move mountains literally to see it through the way that he wants to. And that is just, um, I think super, super cool. It's commendable, but let's get into burden of dreams itself. Just judging this movie as a movie on its own. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about burden of dreams? Well, if we uncouple it from Fitzcarraldo and view it just like you're saying as a documentary in isolation, 
I liked it a lot more the second time I saw it because I had expectation baggage. Still is a problem with me with films. I'm, try, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But I was originally inspired, and I mentioned this when it went up on the board, by an episode of Documentary Now in the most recent season. And I thought that this Burden of Dreams documentary was going to include more footage about the combative relationship between Herzog and Klaus Kinski. And that was, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but that was something that was really drawing me to Burden of Dreams from afar. I, I was like, oh, I kind of want to see these two butt heads creatively and how do they resolve this tension between them and, and execute something. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was going to be more along those lines. So those are my expectations. And then the film begins and unrolls. And I realize it's not about their combative relationship at all. And actually, intentionally, they had footage of a big fight that erupted on set and stuff. And, and Les Blank, the director of Burden of Dreams, he decided to cut that scene from the film. And I think it's like it's, I realized that that's not what this movie is going for. This, this documentary is more about achieving a goal. And, and, and battling against all odds to see something through. So as I was kind of speed rewatching it this morning and kind of getting back into the flow of the movie, I was able to kick back and, and simmer in it a bit more mm. and really liked it. it, I, it re and I, I enjoyed it enough the first time I saw it, but it went up a couple of clicks this morning. This film's like was just so refreshing to me because there's no... There's no sit-down interviews in a completely controlled environment. Every interview is just like caught there in the environment. And yes, they have these sort of interview moments with Herzog, but they're all going along with the story. And the interviews chunks are happening as these moments in the story are happening in and, real time. And his uh, frazzled, you know, kind of state, <laughs> you yeah, know, and, and where, he's, he's, where he's at mentally is coming across yeah. in all of those. When he's at his I want my opera house moment, so to speak, of like when he's kind of reached the end of his rope, he's just being uh, very honest. And so often, like in, say, a modern day documentary where they're rehashing something that happened in the 90s or whatever, like everyone is years removed from the situation and it's on upon reflection and it's been filtered through memory and every other thing that can cause inaccuracies. But this was just so like cruising down the river I'm, and I'm not trying to be cute with that and this movie's subject matter but it was just very go with the flow I loved how the voiceover was so plain it's very Nat you know, Geo I would say yes it's very like PBS news hour like it's just very plain facts and again so against what we get in modern times where they're always trying to jazz everything up and they're always trying to get some lure celebrity you in to something. do the voiceover. And, yeah, yeah. And they're like, they're sprinkling, they're sprinkling, they're sprinkling salt all over it. Like they're trying to play with words in a, in a captivating way. It was so nice for this to just be so deadpan and just be like, again, this here's what's happening right now. And I just like, Again, all of this stuff started bubbling up on second watch for me. And it's like, I really like this. I don't know where it's going to fall in my kind of all-time favorite docs. I don't know if it's getting really, really up there yet. But I thought it was an awesome companion piece to Fitzcarraldo. I think they go together so, so well. And it was interesting in isolation. Um, do you, you pretty much feel the same way overall? Do you? I don't know about the last part. The isolation part, I think this movie would be a lot less effective if you don't have the context of watching Fitzcarraldo. So I'm glad we did what we did because yes. um, otherwise thinking about the boat sequence, you know, going up a hill and if you were to watch the making of scenes of that in, in burden of dreams without having seen the finished product in Fitzcarraldo, I don't think it's nearly as effective uh, at communicating like just how monumental what they're doing is. Um, and that's not to, that's not a knock on burden of dreams by any means. Um, but I think like when you have seen Fitzcarraldo and you've seen like this insane thing that they did, and then you get the context of how they got there and how hard it was just on the production to pull that off. And like, you know, like 
seeing, you know, frazzled Werner Herzog being like, how the fuck do I do this kind of thing? Yeah. Like, and just the logistical nightmares and the tribal conflicts and all these, all this craziness that was going on. You just can't appreciate it fully without having seen that. I feel like, yeah, dude, I think you're exactly right. So I am going to kind of walk back what I had said because even though I do think the documentary is strong enough to be interesting on its own, it is way better in conjunction. And I'm so glad that you had mentioned like, well, let's do them both. We have to see Fitzcarraldo. Like, even though I do think it's, it's strong, it, it is so much more impactful to see it alongside Fitzcarraldo. I, so yeah, I, yeah. I agree. It's like, well then also just seeing like all the scenes in the jungle that they captured and being like, Oh, that's really cool that they got that when you watch Fitzcarraldo. And then you see in this movie, it's like people are fucking getting shot through the neck with like, like six foot long, you know, arrows and like, Crazy. uh, Crazy. like they're, you know, getting dysentery and like, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's insane. Yes. And like dealing with the politics of like these little like, you know, tribal groups that are, are you know, being subjected to kind of like these Westerners or well, I, I mean, I guess they're part of the West technically, but because uh, they're in the Amazon, but uh, they're being subjected to these these, you know, city folks idea of like what uh, needs to be done for a set and like then you're, you're realizing, oh, well, they have to have prostitutes on set to keep these guys yeah. happy. And we have to, like, uh, deal with the the issues with plumbing and, you know, electricity and, like, all these things. Like, like all the things that went into getting that footage um, just means so much more once you've seen the footage and you're like, how the fuck did they get that when they're dealing with all this in the background? Yeah, it, it's, it's nutty. It's completely nutty that they pulled all of this off. And you're right, we get so much more context through Burden of Dreams. And that, too, is one of my favorite things, the fact that it was the Catholic priest who was suggesting, like, you need to have some some sex workers here. You just, it's, it's you need it. Like yeah. we, and it's just, again, it's just so different than, than kind of what we'd expect for our reality. And also, I just have to say, I think this was one of the best movie titles I've ever heard in my life. It's just thinking one. about, like, what it means and it, like the whole point of the movie is summed up in the title and it's a snappy, awesome title. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, I think one of the best titles we've ever had on the show. And that's not really something I ever really think about. But Burden of Dreams just really hits me as just a fucking great title. What's the worst title we, we've had on the show? Sling Blade. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have to think about it. Let's look back mm -hmm. and see. Let's run. <clears throat> <laughs> some call a sling blade i was gonna say m just because we we yeah. thought about it in that episode and we're like oh talk about name. like i mean you never would have had the foresight to understand what seo was at the time but good fucking god trying to find information about the movie m is impossible these it's days it's so hard <laughs> m movie you can't sound it's terrible in conversation and it's terrible in writing um, in the mood for love i must say i don't think is a great title really i don't um, mind that one it's okay all. it's okay Looking through this, I think my favorite name might be The Taking of Pelham 123. I think that's just a really strong title and really cool. title. Yeah. But um, it's not as poetic as this one is. You know what I mean? It's like that one's cool just because of how straight down the barrel it is, The Taking of Pelham 123. Mm -hmm. But Burden of Dreams is just like short, sweet, not too short, not too long. And just, again, the entire idea of the film is perfectly conveyed in three words it's pretty sensational yeah absolutely it's it, yeah you're exactly right the the title of the movie tells you what it's about you know um in a way but but not in a such a direct way like you're saying with taking taking of pelham one two three it's much more like as you watch the movie the the title reveals itself to you you know We've touched them in obviously quite a bit over the last two weeks, but do we want to dive into a little bit more specifics on how Herzog comes across in this film to us mm -hmm. and how we feel about him? Uh, because I loved seeing him direct and the way he spoke with his actors and, and, and would walk through scenes and stuff. And of course, all this like crazily taking place in this jungle with like, Every single thing is a logistical headache and a nightmare to get it even to you, you know, whether it's a tractor piece or whatever. But I'm um, thinking specifically of like that scene 
on the boat before it gets renovated with Claudia Cardinale. And he's like talking about like, oh, you could like kind of check this door. Just don't do this one. But, you know, he's like very he seems very sweet as yeah. he's talking to his actors and very kind. He's always like regardless of the situation, he is even keeled like the guy. Yes. The guy is steady. Yes. He seems unflappable and and has not lost sight of why they're there. Yes, they're dealing with all these nightmares, but at the end of the day, he's making a film and he's working with actors and, and tech people and everybody else to, to achieve this film. And I just really liked the way he would talk to the actors. Like that scene too, where they're working at the rubber place and they have yep. that uh, actor who I believe was from Brazil. I can't remember. Yeah, they mentioned the guy with the mosquito was, net. Yeah, they mentioned that that guy was a uh, Brazilian soap opera actor who mm-hmm. just like was really well known in Brazil. Yeah, and I just loved seeing them before cameras rolling, rocking, like walking through the scene and the guy's mosquito net kept falling down and they kind of together discovered like, oh, take it off and the smoke is bothering you. So you're, just like fanning. You know, you're fanning. Yeah. It's just the smoke is disagreeable. And it's like, oh, so Herzog is like one of these types of directors. If this um, if this scene encapsulate encapsulates his like style, he has an idea and he has an objective, but he's also fluid and flexible in terms of working with the actors for yeah. what makes sense to them. You know, some directors are kind of notorious for how rigorous they are with things like blocking and, and this needs to happen in the year and this needs to happen there. He seems to have a clear vision. You know, that people always talk about that. Does the director know what they want sort of things? Mm-hmm. But he is open to being flexible with his actors. And when something needs to change or pivot, he seems to be kind of working with them to yeah. do that and he's not forcing the issue really and again always seemed very kind of sweet like what i'd like to do i think you should do this like I, like just i like the the softness with which he kind of funneled things into shape it was kind of nice to see he had has a very light touch to someone who seems so i mean he certainly doesn't seem unfriendly but for someone who has a reputation of being a bit of a daredevil filmmaker it was kind of cool to see him be this um, soft with his actors and, and with his crew. Well, and it, and it really hammers home how he's able to motivate people to do these crazy things because I think he, he gets a level of trust from, from his actors uh, and from, from his crew members that allow him to take them into the jungle and face these kind of insane things, which I think like, it it takes a very special kind of person to be able to motivate people that way. And for so long and, and to do the, like these things like, like literally like you see a cameraman just like knocking his head into a wall and like bleeding, you know, from his head and his hand. And like, you know, it's just like that you have to be so committed to the same vision in order to like get, get on board with that. And like the cameraman doesn't seem phased by it. It's just like, yep, this is, this is what happens. You know, yeah, this is what I signed up for with these risks. He doesn't seem surprised at all. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? Like maybe maybe he fucking hated Herzog for, for that afterwards. I don't know. <laughs> but at least within what we see in the film, uh, it really feels like despite the chaoticness, despite the the all the ridiculous things that that got in the way of making this movie, um, there's not really a, a glimmer of anyone being like, fuck this. I'm I, I can't do this yeah. anymore. Um, yeah, and, and like that is like how how do you motivate someone that way? I don't know. Yeah, he does just seem to be a natural leader, and yes. you know, I think that is maybe the most important characteristic of any great director. And there's obviously many different styles and many different qualities of leadership, but his definitely seems to be like we're going to weather the storm together. He's and in it he's, with he's you. Steady. Like, yeah, yeah. If, if you're he's getting in, fucked up, I'm getting fucked up. You know? Exactly. <laughs> like, and he kind of seems to be so good at keeping everybody motivated and everyone marching towards the same goal. It, it seems to be uh, an effortless quality of his. And I, I, I really was impressed with just all of those things kind of coming together creatively, mm-hmm. particularly too. And also, like, you know, we did get a little bit of that uh, 
Kinski stuff that I was kind of hoping to feed on. Like in, even in that rubber scene, like the after cut, like Kinski's just like, oh God, it's enough to put you to sleep. Like he's just like already like bitching about the scene, you know? So we did get like little components. Well, like of mid how the boat getting like crashed into walls, like Kinski is like giving Werner Herzog shit for like, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, it worked for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to mention while we're kind of just talking about Herzog, like he just seems like such a fascinating guy. At a minimum, the dude speaks three languages, mm-hmm. all seemingly very well. His Spanish, like I'm obviously no expert, but it sounded right. Like his, like his, even his accents and everything. Sound, I was like, yeah, that sounds like Spanish I've overheard or even in high school when yeah. I was learning. I'm sure there's an accent the same way there yeah. is when he's speaking English, but yeah. yeah. But his English is fantastic too. And I'm sure his German is impeccable. I mean, it's a native tongue. Let's hope. But he, and for all we know, he could speak a fourth language. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but he's just this fascinating guy who seems to live life so boldly I, and I tries ask. to encourage other people to live that way as well, which I think is the whole point of Fitzcarraldo is he wants yeah. to try to ignite people's dreams and passions and like say, just go for it, get there, out there and fucking do it. Well, just, and like, you know, the importance of creativity and like, you know, the importance of, of art in, in our lives. Um, I think, you know, he really brings that across. But what I was going to say is having seen this now, Herzog immediately skyrocketed to the top of my list of like, you know, famous dinner guests that I would want to have. Yes. That's great. Yeah. 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 Immediately. I, I was that. like, I was like, man, all right. I, I just want to sit across the table from this guy, drink a bunch of whiskey and just like share stories and like hear everything he has to say about everything. Cause he sounds like, I, I just, I could listen to the dude, you know, it's weird. He's like, he's monotone and he's kind of like very like downbeat, but he, he's, so just immediately engaging every time he talks you just like can't take your eyes away from him and you just listen to every you hang on every word he says yeah and he's also the type of confident i like which is not excessively so he's not arrogant like even when he talks about in this film i believe he talks about why he's chosen to make movies you know, because he believes in dreams and expression and, and, and like this is his medium for that. And he even says something like, because it's only something I can do even to just like, you know, it's it's something I can do to even a small degree. I think he says or he says something like that to kind of like well, undersell. Dude, I, like, I, I'm glad you, you're bringing this up because this brings me to my favorite moment in the movie. And the one that really, I think, just encapsulates uh, what this is all about and what Herzog himself is all about. But he's talking about, you know, his duty to art and his duty to like bringing art out of the world. Um, Cause he, he knows that he, that's what he was put on this earth to do. And what he says, the, the quote that I thought was just so fucking beautiful. Um, it's like the last interview I think he gives in the movie. And he says, we have to articulate ourselves. Otherwise we would be cows in a field. Yes. And yes. I was just, I like, just got I was goosebumps. Like, oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just fucking grazing. We're just yeah. we're just doing nothing. Like yeah, we're this, not this is the providing. point of living. This is what being a human being is. And that that touches exact like, you know, we've talked about Station Eleven endlessly. And mm-hmm. the whole point of that that show to me is is the importance of art and the importance of connection through art and how that contextualizes our lives and and the world we live in and how it gives it gives us meaning in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and and that one sentence that he gives in this is just like that is everything to me i want yeah. a fucking tattoo of that and it's so herzog like he has it's he off has the cuff. this kind of he has this yeah, it's off the cuff and he has this like operatic way of speaking like almost Shakespearean in its intensity and his word choice and like, but also it's, it's um, decisive and Mm. it's lean. His language is, yes, his language is tight. It's seemingly calculated and it's like kind of, you know how they used to say how Ernest Hemingway got started as a, um, what's the word? Telegraph person. I don't know what they would be called, but like someone who is like, translating telegraphs you know over wires and stuff and they say that's where he developed his economy of word choices because you pay for the letter Mm. you would pay for the letter for that so he always kind of learned how to write 
concisely. And he, he has like a famous challenge of where like he was challenged to write a story in one sentence. Have you ever heard that story? No. It's like um, a pair of children's shoes for sale, never worn. And it's just like, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And That's it's just powerful. like, it's just like, so Herzog, like the way he speaks is almost like that, you yeah. know, that it's just very deliberate, but it's tight and it, and it has this sort of, um, ambitious word choice and something. And it's, and it's kind of, it's easy to kind of poke fun of because of his accent and the way he is, but it's also like really fucking cool. And like cows in the field is like a great like example of that. And when he's talking about like what he views the jungle is a little bit before that in burden of dreams. And he's like, I do not see it as erotic. I see it as like fornication and decay. And like, I'm, I'm kind of doing an Arnold. I'm the not birds doing a are job. screaming. Yeah. The birds <laughs> are not singing. They're screeching. They're in pain. And it's just like such a Herzog way to kind of talk about these things. And he's just a fascinating, fascinating human being. And I love what you said about the dinner guest thing. Cause I think I'm right there with you. Like yeah. he would be so cool to have. And he also seems just no nonsense. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he can put a few back. Yes. And how much, how cool was it seeing him smoke that cigarette on the top of the fucking steamboat when like the branches were sweeping in and he's just like ducking yes. them and like holding onto the props to make sure nothing is lost. I was so like, excited to bring that up. He's yeah. like, he's perfectly balancing the cigarette in his lips <laughs> while he's, while he's dealing with this chaotic situation. Yeah. It's fucking great. He's like the embodiment of that, like most interesting in the world character yeah. from the old Dos Equis ads. He's he like, literally that's is Werner that guy. Yeah. yeah, he's like just and he's just fascinating and just seems like so bombastic in his approach to life. Hmm. Uh, kind of like an Ernest Hemingway type of person who just will like take big risks and lives boldly. And it's just a, so fucking cool to see. And like even his disagreements are even keeled. Like when he's talking to that Brazilian engineer mm. and he's like, this on this, we do not agree. Like the whole metaphor of my film, it needs to be steep. But it's like, it's, it is full of conviction, but it's not rude, but it's just no. very matter of fact. Yeah. And just like, I, I respect what you're saying, but I disagree. And here is why. And it's just so, it's like a samurai sword, like series of statements. that's just clean. It gets to the point. It cuts through. It's just crystal, and it's in and it's and in you, Spanish. What, <laughs> like it's what's amazing. crazy is you're you're like fully on board with him in that moment, and then it cuts to the the interview with the Brazilian contractor or whatever, and he's like, "There's literally a seventy percent chance that this is all going <laughs> to go, go catastrophic, and like twenty people are going to die." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, um, and then you're like, "Oh, I yeah. don't know if I should have followed him into the breach, but whatever. I'm with you, Werner." <laughs> Well, then I think they rehired another engineer from somewhere else and yeah. they like designed a new system. But like, again, it's just so cool to see all this stuff and just see the the way this guy approaches movie making. And it's um, it's just fucking awesome. Yeah, like, this is a great doc. It is. And, you know, the, it's classic dartboard movie night. The more we talk about it, the more I'm loving this thing. Yeah, uh, yeah me too. Me you too. know, and, and like. It's all those little moments that you're just like, man, that really, that's phenomenal. That's it's cool that they captured that. Um, and I think that's that's the best thing you can say about a documentary is when when it captures the unexpected or it captures like someone saying, giving some like off the cuff uh, uh, moment of brilliance, you know, um, that that's the magic of documentaries when they get those kind of things. It's why I, I get so fucking annoyed at like the true crime documentary stuff. Exactly. Cause it's all just like retrospective, just, you know, talking mm -hmm. head interviews. And it's like, yeah, I mean the, the, the case itself can be interesting. Don't get me wrong. I, I like a lot of those things, but like, give me like, I, I need these like moments of immediacy where the camera is capturing something that it, otherwise would not have if they weren't trying to, to, you know, make something in the moment. And like, you know, these, these very journalistic approaches to documentaries, uh, kind of are just, they, they just don't engage me the same way. Yeah. They don't like, 
they don't make them like this anymore because they wait for a story to catch public attention and then they decide to go back and make a documentary about it so people will go, oh, I remember hearing about that, the time that guy won a jet from Pepsi or it's like some bullshit, you know? So that's why it's because they, they're they're doing it backwards. They're doing like a rear view mirror type of thing mm-hmm. where it doesn't seem like people are getting financed for like, no, let's cover this now as it's happening. And we'll make a documentary out of this live as it's marching along. Everything is in the rearview mirror and it's all just like overflowing with um, perspective and hindsight. And it's like an unfair advantage. And it makes the documentary to me less interesting than yeah. something like tracking something as a as it progresses. That's one thing that's great about the Billie Eilish documentary I worked on mm. is that was one that was like, following something as it was happening right. and 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 they jumped in pretty early and and chronicled like the explosion of her popularity over the course of like two or three years and I, i'll never forget the director said something where i was like this guy is awesome he was like um talking to the dp about it a very lean crew two cameras maximum and he was like um i actually think it might have just been one cam but anyway he was like, you know, it's interesting. She's kind of outgrown the documentary. Like she's outgrown our abilities to film these shows and cover these moments in her life. And he's like, I think that's kind of a good thing. It's like she's it's really kind of metaphorically shows how much her fame has gone. And I was like, this guy knows what he's fucking talking about. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, that's just awesome. So that. but so they do still happen like these sort of, oh, totally. of no, jump I mean, in and follow. But I, like the, the ones we get hit with all the time are just so much of this. Like you're saying, like, uh like uh, murdery ones or just uh, even culty ones. And I'm a sucker for like a cult documentary. But again, it's all just like hindsight bullshit, news right. clippings. Like I uh, think police like a good, body cam footage. Is a good awful. version of that is like the Scientology documentary that uh, I think it's Alex Gibney did, um, which is Going Clear. Um, that one's very much the the retrospective kind of look back documentary, but it has such interesting footage that it, it dug up for it. And, and there's uh, so much context that I, I wasn't aware of that I felt like I really got a lot out of that. So like that's a good version of that. But like the the style that really you know works for me, I think I've brought it up on the show. I can't remember if it made it into an episode or not, but like uh, the documentary Wiener following Anthony Wiener's uh, yes, attempt yes, attempt it. to come back from from being, you know, it, it wasn't you know called canceled at the time, but he was very much canceled and then tried to kind of come back and run for governor and almost like pulled it off again. And then in the moment, like the documentary captures the moment of his second decline. And it's mm. like, Oh, and, and like you, you just can't believe what you're watching when you're watching it. And like that, that is, that is pure magic that, that they capture in the, those kind of documentaries. And I think this one definitely burden of dreams that being that, um, falls into that category. Yeah. Like they show the footage of that guy having just been, or at least within looks like it looks like within the last 24 hours had been stitched up from that arrow going through his neck. Oh yeah. And you're like, Oh my God, they are just covering all this shit in real time. And it was just like fascinating to me. Really and fascinating. Um, can we talk about awesome. that fucking arrow by the way? Yeah. My God. Yeah. Let's talk about Cause it. Cause you see, well, so you see, uh, well you hear Werner reviewing what happened and he talks about, you know, that there were, you know, there was this, little skirmish and and you know in the you know arrow hit this guy in the neck arrow hits his his wife or or, you know partner in in the side and you know you see like the the them bandaged up kind of like laying down and then like five minutes later it cuts to another interview with Werner Herzog holding up the arrow that went through and the thing is literally like six feet long and the arrowhead is like this this weird kind of uh what what is that shape like that it's kind like, of yeah it's like a um oblong kind of like a, like an upside down diamond almost but not that's not even really accurate but it's but like, i mean the the arrowhead alone is a solid like foot foot and a half long yeah, dude, it's and huge. and it's wide and you think about yeah. that going through this guy's neck and somehow he's like surviving and being i can't fine. believe he survived i cannot believe that person survived it's unbelievable yeah it's 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 completely insane and then his wife got 
got kind of lit up in the side, like three arrows to the side. I mean, and thank again, God like, they had a paramedic like on set because they definitely would have bled out otherwise. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and again, it's just it's just all adding up to the amount of backsliding that was happening on throughout this project. And and th- again, that's the whole point. I think is like getting knocked down and getting back up is like this movie in a nutshell. And mm. over and over again, the production gets smacked down by something and it rises back up. Jason Robarts gets dysentery and can't get cleared to return. They have to reshoot the entire beginning of the movie. Uh, and then they get their first camp gets attacked by tribal people and burned. They have to relocate there. And it's just like the bulldozer keeps breaking down. How about the shots of Herzog in the mud? Like up to his knees well, it in was like, mud. He says something like it was the most rainfall they'd had in a century or something. So mm-hmm. like they're working in that mud like completely unexpectedly. Yeah. Oh, and the tra- and the tractor parts need to get flown in from Miami. And it's just like, oh my God, like everything just takes so much effort to do anything. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And then like I, I love the um you know, we're just kind of like highlighting favorite moments in the movie oh, we're I just guess, gushing. at this point. But yeah. like, I love like the clip of him directing the canoes coming into shore, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where the trees are falling in the background. And, you know, you can hear the dynamite going off, like knocking those down behind the thing. And he's like, no, no, come on, come in slowly. And like the one guy's like, girl in the yellow shirt, stop what you're doing. Like, you stop know, smiling. Like, stop you know, smiling. And it's like they're directing these these literal just natives that are just you know live in this jungle and all these natives are like laughing they're like what are we fucking doing this is the weirdest yeah. shit in the world <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it really highlights the absurdity of making movies in general but uh it's just i i love that little clip yeah that clip was awesome and again it, no bullhorn so they're just shouting over the amazon river <laughs> Go back, go back, go back, go back. Like, come slower, come slower. And they're just, like, trying to direct. There's even a bit of a language barrier because there's a group within the group that doesn't speak Spanish, I right. believe. So it's, yeah. like, it's very difficult to c- communicate these ideas. And, yeah, that that clip alone summed up a bunch of what this movie's going for, of just the difficulty of what they're doing here. And he's, like, telling them to go back and then come back <laughs> in. And, yeah. Slower, I, slower. Slower. <laughs> And none of them, it makes sense to none of them. They're just like, sure, dude, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever you, you need. You're going you to give man. me my 150 a week or whatever? Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to say, too, um, about how good Klaus Kinski looks in this movie, too. I mean, we talked about how good he is in, in Fitzcarraldo, the film itself. But whenever he's on camera, even in this documentary, my eyes are just drawn to him. He has a completely magnetic thing. Like there's a scene where they're taking a boat in like a small, like propeller boat. And he's just like standing on the bow with his arms on his sides. And he just looks like a fucking movie star. Yeah. And like, they're just, they're not doing a scene. This is just like, they're just logistically getting somewhere. And the guy, I mean, it's clear that he was kind of crazy and just a complete egomaniac, but there is something irresistible about him that I can't, Take, look, take, look away. And when he's like talking about how they're kind of stuck at the camp, he's like, there's nowhere to go. You can't, you can't, you have to be here. You're, st- you're very much stuck here. And he keeps like licking his lips and you can just tell that he's got all these kind of strange ticks, but they all just keep stacking up to me finding him more fascinating. Mm-hmm. And he, he has this very magnetic uh, and magical quality to him that even behind the scenes yeah. and when he's not shooting, I'm I'm still like this guy. It was born to be a movie star. Yeah, totally. he's a movie star. It's movie star energy. Uh, mm-hmm. Very few people have it. It's just kind of like this intangible charisma that, uh, yeah, you totally you, like. You can make speculation as to why they're so engaging, but at the end of the day, it's just something you can't really put your finger on. Yeah, it's indefinable, and I honestly think he he might sneak into a big dog conversation for me mm, because I this coupled with Fitzcarraldo. I'm really like, this guy is special. It, he really is. On the side, I'd really like you to watch Aguirre and, and tell me what you think. Yeah, I, I think I will. I will. Yeah, because I think that's an even better performance. Well, I don't know. Maybe. They're, it, both of them are really, really great. But anyway. Any other final thoughts on Burden of Dreams? I mean, this is a shorter episode, but uh, you know, we're, we're calling this, I think, a 0.5. This is not necessarily a main feed uh part of the 50 so i don't mind going a little short on this but but Mm -hmm. ultimately like why should people go watch this movie 
if you're interested in the amount of effort something takes to accomplish, particularly in film or in anything, or if you feel like you need to be inspired, like maybe you're going through a difficult time or you want to try something new and you want something to ignite your passion for jumping into something. I think this movie, both of these movies really would fit the bill for that. Of like, if you're in the mood to like have somebody kind of keep the wind at your back, so to speak, or just get you motivated. I can't think of the phrase, but like this is kind of like a little bit of like a motivational speakery type of movies. These two together about resilience and mental toughness and dealing with adversity and dealing with, with difficulty. Um, both of these movies have that in their DNA inherently. And I think they display kind of what it takes to really pour your heart and soul into something. So whether you're trying to do something like that in your personal life or you just want to witness somebody going for it, I think that's the type of person I would recommend both of these things to. And Fitzcarraldo, I'd probably be quicker to recommend, but I'm going to be strongly endorsing um, that they're viewed together because I'm like this. These are these are a great, great companion pieces. Yeah. I mean, as opposed to Apocalypse Now, for instance, where, you know, I don't think like watching Hearts of Darkness, the documentary about making Apocalypse Now um, is almost a completely separate experience from that movie. And I think you can watch either in isolation and and not lose anything because I think they're they're getting at different things. Um, Whereas with this one, like you're saying, like I really think pairing them together is the only way to go because, you know, as you're alluding to, they're they're on parallel tracks. They're they're talking about the same things, and you know it's it's life imitating art and art imitating life, and you know that that kind of like cosmic dance that these two things are doing um, is really fascinating. And I can't think of another example in film history where that's you know that clear to me that that like oh. they they deserve to be watched in tandem. Yes. And kind of to add to what you're saying, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the potential recastings. When Jack Nicholson it was clear he was not going to work out, Herzog considered playing the role himself. It makes and sense. Cuz it cuz it's so he was so close to what the what he was attempting to do as a director and what the character is trying to do mm-hmm. is the same. And so he's he was willing to play it himself, and then he they got Klaus to do it, and he Herzog quickly said, "I would not have been as good as Klaus, like you no, know, yeah. as Kinski, like no." And he was quick to reinforce that, but he was he was willing to do it himself completely. I did have a couple of like a little notey things I wanted to say real quick, and we could just cut it out if it doesn't fit. It won't take long. Okay. Um, in terms of Fitzcarraldo, do you remember that scene? in the beginning of the movie where he's playing opera for the people in the opulent like house. And he like turns or he has that look on his face of like, right, right. Isn't this the best thing you've ever heard? And nobody in the room gives a shit. I have been that guy so many times, not with opera music necessarily, (laughs) but let's say it's like pavement or something like that. I'll put this like kind of song on and be like looking around like, right, right. And nobody cares. So I could completely relate to Fitzcarraldo in that scene. Um, I love that. And then the other thing I want, the last thing I wanted to say was, um, how do you feel about the jungle or the jungle? (laughs) Sertzog kind of says, do you have any interest in ever going and experiencing something like the Amazon and the jungle? Because, I find it interesting that there's certain types of creative people who like to push the limits of their creativity and they're like, and just push the boundaries of everything and go into the jungle and make something like you talked about apocalypse now earlier. That's another example of Francis Ford Coppola, like almost went mad, like trying to make that movie. And, you know, we love the movie sorcerer. That's another type of like certain types of, directors just want to get out there and do something really challenging and kind of get close to losing it. Um, and I don't know what draws people to that, but I'm curious if you personally, not that you're necessarily looking to push the envelope, but do you have any interest in ever going to the fucking jungle or no? No, I like my creature comforts. I don't, I don't think that I have any interest in that. You know, the wilderness is definitely, um, something that, uh, draws me. Like I love being out in the woods camping and I love kind of, you know, um, just experiencing nature, uh, especially like in isolation where I can just kind of like be, be at peace and just kind of like, you know, um, 
enjoy it that way. But the jungle specifically does not intrigue me. Too many, too many ways to die in the jungle. Yeah, I'm right there with you, dude. I hate bugs. I don't really care for snakes. I hate, I despise spiders. I hate creepy crawly things. And I should and I say just, tropical jungle, it. not, you know, yeah. you know, whatever. Not forest. Um, and then I had to tell this other story. I heard this crazy story that Herzog told in the commentary and on that other documentary, My Best Fiend, about Klaus Kinski. And like when he would throw his tantrums at the worst possible timing. Mm-hmm. They had uh, these people clearing trees and there were like locals with like, you know, empty foot and they're just using chainsaws to clear trees and one of them got bit by this highly venomous snake where if you don't get help in 20 minutes you're dead it's cardiac arrest and they didn't have something to like fix him in time so he gets bit in the foot by the snake which was never supposed to happen because they're normally afraid for the chainsaws and the noise and everything and this guy looks down at his foot for five seconds and then takes his chainsaw and cuts his leg off to stop the venom. What? Yeah. And so the whole camp is dealing with this and in disarray because this guy just cut his own leg off to stop the venom from killing him. And Kinski threw a conniption that the attention was on like somebody else. (laughs) 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 He threw a fit then. And... uh, (laughs) That's outstanding. Herzog went on to say that that decision that person did to cut his own foot off saved his life. Oh, and yeah, they were absolutely. Able to, no question. Yeah. I mean, d- just, just to have the wherewithal to do that in that moment. And you need to do it quickly. Right. Because because, well, it's, and it's, it's, and it's not even the, within the 20 minutes because like that venom will travel quick up some veins. Yeah. So you got to be like within seconds of that happening oh to, to get yeah. it. Exactly. And just like, could you imagine making that decision in that time frame? It's just amazing. So that was just a story. I was like, we've got to mention that because that's Holy like the coolest crap. thing I've ever fucking heard. I can't believe that. The coolest is not the I right mean, I can. It's like intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having watched Burden of Dreams, I can believe it. But at the same time, it's Jesus Christ. I can't believe they didn't keep, put that in the documentary. I know. I think it's because they only covered like the documentary was filmed over the course of like three months. Ah. Uh, and this is, you know, like you mentioned, this was like a four year process, really. Yeah. So they really only had like a snippet of what the whole thing really was. And they do a great job in that doc and with the time that they had. But there was a lot of stuff that happened outside of it. And if people are interested in learning more about this, uh, My Best Fiend talks about more of the Kinski blowouts during this. And, and it also includes that snake story I mentioned and stuff like that. So I'd recommend that there's more stuff out there about Fitzcarraldo if anyone's interested in diving into it. Well, on that note, I think it's time we wrap up here on both Fitzcarraldo and Burden of Dreams, our first Mm. double feature. Yep. Feels good to have a fun double feature. Excited for a return to the norm next week. But speaking of, Drew, it is your week to put a replacement on, I think. Do you have ideas? You coming in hot? Did something come to you during this conversation? I did not prepare. Per usual. Sometimes that's best. But. As we've been talking, you brought up Sorcerer. Oh. And Sorcerer is a film by William Friedkin. Um, and Friedkin is another one of these kind of batty uh, directors from, you know, the, the 70s and 80s. And, um, you know, questionable morality. Uh, I'm not, I'm not accusing Herzog of this necessarily, <laughs> but, but certainly with, with regards to freaking uh, some, some questionable morality around how he captured the things that he captured back in the day. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put a, a William Friedkin movie on, but I do want to put a movie on that Friedkin mentioned a lot when I was really getting into his films a couple of years ago. Um, he brought it up in multiple interviews as one of his favorite films and a big inspiration of his. And I think it's, I think we need to get, I'm looking at the the board right now and I'm not seeing a lot of foreign language films. Mm. So I'm going to put on a French film called Z or in Europe, you would call it Zed. Oh my God! We have another M-like name, I another know. terrible name. I, I love know. it, dude. Also and it's going in the three spot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck yeah! On the opposite side of the axis and allies, but still, um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's it's a movie from the '60s, and I know it's like kind of like a paranoid thriller. I don't know a ton about it, but I've just I've heard it brought up so many times, and it's been kind of sitting in my watch list for so long that I, I think it's it it deserves to go on the board. It's a, it it seems really interesting to me. So I'm gonna put up Zed. Dude, I'm in. I, I like this choice a lot. Seems right for the three spot. Now, when you go through the list, you're gonna say Zed or Z when you read through. I'm gonna say Zed because I mean that's what it that's you know, yeah. the correct pronunciation from the perspective of the filmmakers. Yeah. Um, like, but it is, like it is time. just yeah. the letter Z for all the Americans who uh, are unaware of, of that. Um, yeah. So it's a film by a guy named Costa Gavras. Uh, it's a French film from 1969. So that is going on the board at number three. Nice. Nice. Do a little uh, recap before I throw this thing. Absolutely, Jared. Let's run through the board real quick before we throw that dart. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, The Big Night. Number 13, Night Moves. Number 14, Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, The Terminator. What's my what's my number on that one? What's your number? That was a seven point eight. Wow, that's generous. I feel like, but okay. I, I sure. thought it was good. I thought it was good. Uh, I'm gonna go righty with this one, and I'm gonna aim for the upper hemisphere of the board. I don't want to get anywhere near three again. I, we can't do three in a row. I just want to try to get like I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna aim for like twenty, but just get something in the upper portion. So okay. cool. Let's see what we get. Let's do it. and you shall receive what do we got 20 we're doing the terminator man fuck yes dude big shamer for drew big shamer for me it's one of the only might actually i think it's the only james cameron i haven't seen so Hell yeah dude yeah we're we're knocking it off uh and i love that we're going from kind of art film experimental to uh you know straight down the middle blockbuster uh, I, mm-hmm. I love it uh, and i'm so excited to talk james cameron he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time so yeah excited and, for the terminator next week and another iconic arnold performance on the heels of conan which we is a movie we loved we covered on this show yep Can I get some uh, and talk we'll get into it next week but it's a movie i think i've only seen once so like it'll be very good for me to check in. It was a long time ago, so yeah. it'll be a relatively fresh experience for me too, man. And I'm looking forward to it. Do we even need to do a streaming check for this movie? <laughs> 1984's The Terminator, currently available at time of recording on HBO Max, but pay to rent elsewhere. And I mean, it is one of the most famous movies from that decade. You should be able to find it. So I'm not I'm, too worried I'm about also, it. I'm making a point of uh, we will never refer to HBO Max by its new name because fuck David Zaslav and fuck that like just complete bastardization of a beautiful brand. Yeah, it's HBO Max. It it's is not HBO Max. Discovery. Don't even say it. Don't even say it. Yeah, HBO Max. Yep. So um, I am excited, and I just like you said, I love that we're going from kind of like indie-ish, film schooly type of really cool, interesting films with these back-to-backs to a massive, soaring success. I'm looking forward to next week, man. So stoked. Terminator will be next week. That'll do it this week for Burden of Dreams and Fitzcarraldo. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Dartboard Movie Night. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mark. Later.